0: Good morning. Oh, man. Good morning. Glad you're here. Can you hear me all right? Maybe a little more, Tanya. There we go. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Rick said he was just approached by the menopausal women, that we needed a little more air conditioning. So that's coming. It's coming, down. It's coming down. On, <laughs> that's not an official group in our church, it's just a... <laughs> but it could be. No. Uh, glad you're here. I want to get going. I've got some really good things to say today, some things that are right from God. And I know you can smell food. This is going to be a real test of your attention today, but uh, I think that God's got some real things to say, so. Diane just reminded me that when we get back there, all the veterans ought to go first in line, all right? Please do that. Oh, well, we're going to get moving this morning. I know we, we've got a lot of fun things to do after the sermon, but I really want your attention this morning. i got something to say um, straight from God today. We're in the middle of a ser- series Um, that we're going to be doing for a while um, called The Story, so I'm going to explain that. But I want to jump right in um, and let you know about some things that are going. We're moving in this church. We're doing a lot of things. A lot of things are happening quickly. um, I want to let you know some of those, and then I'm going to dive right in. But before we do that... What we believe around here is that um, this is an opportunity for you. There's, there's really nothing special about this space. We're real proud of this church. Um, we're proud of the building. We take good care of it. But we don't believe there's anything special about the building. Um, but what we believe is that when we come here, we're saying to God, God, would you, would you kind of put our life on pause for a moment? <laughs> so if you had a remote control for your life, I'd ask you to put it on pause right now. All the stuff that you got going on in life, all the, all the bills to pay, all the messes at work, all the relationship things, just put them all on pause. Because here's what happens. The Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. And we've been going through the Old Testament in the Bible, and we know that God has a great big voice. And so it's not that he has a small voice and that he can't talk loud if he wants to. He chooses to speak to us, and I've never heard his voice, quite literally, but he chooses to speak and to, to kind of move us in very subtle, small ways. And the reason is he will not compete with the noise that we put in our lives. So if we're not careful, we can come into this place and leave the exact same way we came in. With the same problems, the same junk, no, no putting God in charge in our lives. We learned last week that what worship is is saying, God, you're in charge and I'm not. And if you, if you don't get anything else about, about being here on Sunday and all you do is walk away going, all right, God's in charge and I'm not then it's been successful. It was worth getting out of bed. But if you walk into this place and you leave the way you did, you might as well just stay in bed, okay? No then, please. Um, but if you can, if, if you this morning, if you can just put your life on pause and say, God, would you help me quiet my life so that I can hear from you? Even if you're in the room today and you're not sure you believe in God, you're not sure you believe all this stuff, I want you to know that you're welcome in this place, that not only are you welcome in this place, but it's why we built this place. <laughs> It's why we're here, is for those who are far from God, to be drawn to Him, and maybe you felt pushed from Him, and I'm hoping today you feel drawn to Him. Um, But one way or the other, we're asking you today to put your life on pause and just keep your... Keep your heart and your mind open, and the way I like to do that is to start with some prayer. I need it myself. I had a lot of caffeine already this morning. I've been up early, and I'm kind of wired. I'm jumping off the pews back there. I'm kind of all over the place. I'm so excited about what God has, and if I'm not careful, I'll get ahead of God, and I'll end up saying something stupid. So um, I want to pray that he kind of leads me this morning. So let's bow our heads, and let's get right together. God, we do pause our lives right now in this space We thank you for the freedom that comes with being Americans. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the the way some of the men and women in this space have fought for our freedom. Reminds me that we don't deserve your grace. And so right here, right now in this place, God, we choose to put our lives on pause and to listen to what you have to say. Would you say something to us today, those of us who come every week and this becomes just one more thing to check off in the week. God, would you shock us today? Would you allow us to kind of stagger away from here with a word of, from you? And those are in the place today that are still kicking the tires on the whole thing, God, would you give them the next step, the next move towards truth? We choose to listen today, and we thank you for the way you love us. In your son's name, amen. So real quick, I want to let you know we're in a series called The Story. Um, it's a book um, that is based on the Bible, and basically what it does is it takes us from beginning to end through the whole story of the Bible, which is awesome, because if you're like me, I get confused when I read the Bible and things jump around in time, and I'm not exactly sure when, who's that, and this guy begot that person, and this is now, and new, and I'm not really exactly sure what's going on. This book, what it does is it takes the Bible and it puts it into one big story, makes it one big story novel, basically. Only the good news about this one is, it's true. And it comes from the creator of the universe. And it's an amazing thing. If you've never read the Bible, or if you have and you've gotten frustrated with it, would love to invite you to be a part of this series with us. We're going through the entire Bible. I've never done this as a preacher. I am learning things every week. And the cool thing about this for me is that I get to go read something, get shocked by it, prepare, And come in here, and my sermon is not so much about, hey, here's what I'm telling you guys. It's, hey, you won't believe what I found out this week. And that's kind of been the air of this thing. It's just, it's been a really good opportunity for us to kind of learn together, and especially for me personally, to to kind of dig into the Word in a new way. But if you don't have one of those books, they are a hot commodity right now. I don't know, Rick, did you pick up more books this week? We need more books. Yeah, (laughs) we're supposed to. Blame, Blame Rick. (laughs) <laughs> That's called delegation, yes. Um, but we, see Rick or Judy or me or somebody if you need a book, but you've got to get on this. It's like six bucks for a book. If you don't have six bucks, pick up a book anyway, because you've got to get reading this. It's an amazing thing. And then we all come here, and we kind of debrief it. And we've got emailing. We've got a lot of things. One of the things we're doing right now, Allison's not here today. Allison, um, I almost said Allison Reynolds. Allison Peden is helping me on, uh, develop a new website. And if you've been out to our, new, our website, which is on the bulletin, you can see at the bottom there, it's paragonnewlifecc.com. Um, it's all, we also have new Life Christian, or newlifeccparagon.org, but either one of those will take you to the same page. It is brand new. Many of you haven't seen it because I just got it up on Friday. Um, and so go out there. I've still got some work to do. You're going to see some holes and some things. We're going to continue to be building it. One of the things you see is a button that says messages. If you have missed a sermon, it will be there. Okay. If you don't have access to a computer or the website, we also have CDs in the back that you can pick up. We make them the day of, so if if you missed today, you wouldn't be back there to pick it up. But you might get it tomorrow, or you might be able to hand it to somebody. So we want to make sure you don't miss any of this. We've also, some of you, if you've got smartphones or if you've got a a tablet or something with you this morning, don't be looking at it during my sermon. Um, But if you'll notice that something new has popped up, we now have Wi-Fi at New Life. We have jumped into the year two thousand at least, um, and thanks to Chris um, has uh, has got us got us set up with that. So you'll see it pop up. It says New Life Study on it, um, and the password. You ready? is The Story, capital T, okay? And we're going to change it periodically. We are going to have a password, so people have to come back. We'll change it periodically so nobody can just kind of live in the parking lot and, and check their email every day. Um, but if you, if you want to come back, please plug that in and, and uh, feel free to use that. We are jumping right into the year 2000 around here. So, no, we're excited. Um, we've got a lot of things changing and a lot of good things happening. And I want to start today, if, if you're in this uh, series with us, we're, we're starting chapter 5 in the book which um, is about the Ten Commandments. And if you're like me, what I know most about the Ten Commandments is a guy with a big beard and long hair, which is funny because we really don't know what he looked like. But Moses holds these big things with a crack on them. And there's all these stories that we have kind of made up, some of them, um, about Moses. And I would really like to kind of dispel some of those things over the next few weeks. And what I'd like to do is I'd like today to kind of sneak up on the On the Ten Commandments, to tell you a little bit about it, to tell you about why God did it, and to dispel some myths about the Ten Commandments. In fact, I'm going to say something today that if if my fellow preachers all over the country, the ones that I know, heard me say, they would probably say, stop saying that. (laughs) Um, And see, I got your attention, didn't I? Um, I want to uncover some things that preachers do and, and let you know about some things that we say that probably aren't true and we're we're as as preachers around the country we're trying to keep this from happening but it's happening all over and we're, and we want to just start to dispel some myths and then over the next couple of weeks we're going to really dig into the 10 commandments and talk about what they are um, but what I'd like to do today is I'd like to start with this question where do you think it came from the feeling that what god wants most from us is to follow the rules but we all do it have you noticed that we all think this way all cultures all religions base their God's acceptance on them by how well they perform how good they are how well they behave. In fact, if I were to ask you even if you're not a Christian today, if I were to ask you, let's just assume that there's a heaven, okay? Even if you don't believe that today, let's assume that there's a heaven and it's time to go to heaven for you. It's time for God to make the decision. Do you think you're going to heaven? Why is it that your knee-jerk reaction is to think through your behavior and to go, well, God would go, well, there was that time in 1968. I don't know, but let's juxtapose to that because you did do some soup kitchen work and you did some Sunday school teaching and so we'll weigh those things Our knee-jerk reaction is to go, how well have I behaved in my life? That's going to send me to heaven. This is kind of a human condition. Everybody, in fact, I was in Honduras Um, this past year, and got to teach a little bit, and realized that this is not an American issue. This is a human issue. In Spanish, they're telling me that they believe the way you get to heaven is to be good. To be, I I know bueno. That means I'm no good. I'm going to hell. And and we do that. And, And I want you to know that even if you're Christians here today, you may go, that doesn't sound like God, but I bet you've been here. I bet you That you have got have kind of fallen off the wagon at some point in your life when it comes to Christian, when it comes to following Jesus, and you've got into sin pretty deep. And there is this thing in you that goes, "Am I am I still a Christian? Am I really a Christian? If I mess up, if I break a rule, if I continue to fall into sin, am I really a Christian? Do I need to go?" And many of you have said it to me, "Do I need to be baptized again?" Do I need to pray a prayer? Do I need to do this again? Because there's this thing in us that equates credibility with God. It equates God being happy with us with our behavior. But here's the thing. If God ever sent a message to humans through the Bible, through Jesus, through the prophets, if he ever sent the message, it's this. You couldn't possibly be good enough to get in with me. You couldn't be good enough. There's nothing you could do. You could not make enough good choices in your life to go to heaven. God says it over and over. He says, that's not what I'm concerned about with you. Now, that might surprise you this morning, but this is the church lady. Next slide. Check this out. Anybody remember the church lady? Oh, where'd that come from? I think that's the wrong sermon. That's okay. Are we on the wrong sermon? Okay. Well, you know what? Just go back a slide and I'll walk you through this. Yeah, I'll walk you through this. So I'll just do it without slides this morning, but here we go. Basically, oh, I think it's on my, on my thumb drive. Here, Chris, hook me up. All right. Should be, should be on this week. Should say something like, uh, yeah, it should be the top 10 is what it's called. Top 10. So I'll tread water while Kyle's doing that. But basically, the, the deal is that we believe that what God wants most from us is to obey the rules. And if you're not careful, you do this to your children, too. And maybe part of the problem and part of the reason we do this is because we've had it done to us with our parents. Part of the reason we think that God is most concerned with the rules is because the way my dad, now not, my, not me personally, my dad was, was a, a model of, God, of who God's character is, but maybe your dad Maybe your dad treated you like if you didn't obey the rules, you didn't get his love. Maybe everything in your house was about the rules. So here's what happens. You get older, and you totally rebel against that, don't you? Because here's what you know. You know you're not going to obey the rules all the time. You can't. We can't as humans. So instead of trying to obey the rules, you rebel, and you go, you know what? Well, forget, Dad. Forget them. And many of you have said, forget God. I couldn't possibly obey all of God's rules. And so we end up in a place where we believe that God's most concerned with our behavior. And here's what I want to say this morning. If if you're going to leave or if if you're going to fall asleep, then stay awake just for this, okay? Here it is. God is so much more concerned with a relationship with you than he is with you following the rules. In fact, I would say that God's rules aren't a condition of his love for us, their confirmation. I think I'm going to get my sermon notes up here in a second. There you go. There's the church lady. Anybody remember the church lady? Yeah. I love me, the church lady. And you know why I love the church lady? Because I know the church lady. <laughs> I grew up with church ladies all over my life doing this. Could it be Satan? Everything in my life was about rules for a long time. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, man. Good work. Kyle saved the day. Everybody give a hand to Kyle. I'll have to cut that out of the sermon here, but um, that doesn't count as part of my sermon time, okay? Um, So the problem is we've, all of our culture has developed this view of church, that there's somebody wagging their finger in your face all the time, and that this is the view that they have of God too. Now, I want to let you know this morning, and you heard me just say it, that God's more concerned with a relationship with you than he is the rules, but here's the thing, the rules are a confirmation of how much he cares about you. They're a confirmation of how much he loves you. Can you imagine, I, I, and many of you Facebook friends of mine, you know I just uploaded all my family photos. And I mean, it's a little obnoxious. I uploaded like 50 family photos all at the same time, you know, and then I realized, I'm an idiot. I'm that guy, you know. Look at how cute my kids are. I am absolutely desperately in love with my kids. I just love my kids. And I can't think of any better way of expressing my love for my kids than saying, we have some rules in our house. Some rules that are going to keep you out of the places I don't want to see you go into. So here's the thing. The rules that I have with my kids, they don't define our relationship. They're not a condition of my love. They're a confirmation of my love. And this is the heir of the Ten Commandments. Now, I believe that this feeling that we have that God cares more about rules than he does about us, that if we don't follow the rules, we aren't in his good graces, I believe that that alone is the single most issue that has alienated human beings from God throughout time. Now, if you think about the guy that works next to you at work in the cubicle, am I right? If you think about your friends, your high school friends, your college friends, and every time they think, and I hear it all the time here at church, well, I, I, I want to go to church. Actually, I hear it outside of church, about church, when I'm playing golf, or I see somebody that goes, oh, there's the preacher. I haven't been to church in six months. Yeah, I know that look. I can see it from a distance. Oh, there's the preacher. There's this guilt. And then they go, you know what? I'm going mean to come, I'm come, I'm gonna come to church, but I've got to get some things right first. I go, you know what? You've got it backwards. That's not God. And please, don't let preachers mess you up with that. And here's what I want to apologize on behalf of preachers. Guys like me stand in pulpits and say, behave, behave, behave. And we equate behavior with a relationship with God. And when we do, it alienates people from God. Instead, what God does, he does some things that are pretty amazing. On to that next slide, Tanya. One more. God desires a relationship with us just like we are because we are his creation. And on in the New Testament, Jesus is talking to a whole group of people. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. This is why we believe here at New Life that we're a church for unchurched people. We're not just a church of church people. Jesus said, I came for the sick people. I came for the people who are far from God. And that's who he's called for us to be. John 3.16, which we all know, and we all see at football games written on people's foreheads and stuff. uh, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We don't often read 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Next slide, Tanya. Here's what I want to give you today. I want to give you a whole New understanding, maybe, of who God is in your life today. I've been praying about this a lot. I've been talking about it. I was uh, meeting with a friend this week who has this issue with his life where he will not go to church until he stops drinking. He's an alcoholic, and he feels like that, that God doesn't want him there until he stops drinking. And I said, well, there might be people there that don't want you there, but God wants you there now. And I don't know where you are in your life, but I know this is what God wants from you today. And that's the heart of God that gets us to the the part of the story where we find ourselves in chapter 5 of this book. And and I want to remind you of some things that we've talked about, and in case you haven't been here, I want to let you know where we are up to to now in the story. We've seen the world created. We've seen God have to destroy the world because people get so far from what he intended that he had to start over. When people started over, they were a mess again. He picked a man who he said, I want to to raise up an entire group of people who are going to follow me, and they're going to be through you. The whole, uh, your whole family will be through you. So that this family gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it gets so big that, that they start to kind of take over a whole part of Egypt. And when they do, they become slaves quickly. And as they become slaves, they become a nation of people, just this huge nation of people that we now call Jews. And the Jews at this point in history were very, very pure in their race. Only Jews married Jews. You didn't really ever go outside. You'd, nobody ever married a slave girl or a slave boy. It just didn't work that way. So it's just a very big nation of people. And here's what I want you to get about this. God's chosen people have spent 400 years in nothing but slavery. That's Their self-esteem is zero. They have no laws. They have no rules in their life. Nobody loves them enough to give them rules. When they get up in the morning, you don't need rules if when you get up in the morning, your first thing out of your mouth is, yes, master, (laughs) who needs laws? So at this point in history, this nation, most of them, 300 to 400 years after their creation, don't even know who God is. They're not even sure about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their forefathers talked about. They're not even sure if they know who this guy is. They come from this big family. They're in 400 years of slavery, and God raises up one of my favorite characters in all of history. His name is Moses. He raises up an 80-year-old superhero who we've equated to Rocky Balboa. He, he He gets some training, and he becomes God's mouthpiece. It's hilarious. He's 80 years old. He can't talk really very well, and God chooses this guy. And then God goes in, and these Israelites are in slavery. They're kids. Can you imagine? You wake up in the morning, and your kids have to go to work in the fields. My son, Reese is four. <laughs> I can't imagine waking him up as soon as the sun comes up and saying, "Reese, I know your nose is runny. I know you don't feel good. It, you're going to have to go work. This is 400 years of this. And finally, God steps in. And he says to Pharaoh, the king at the time, Moses walks up to Pharaoh and he gets some guts. This guy walks up to Pharaoh. He's got a little stuttering problem or something. He goes, uh, hey, hey, ph 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 God, I know you think you're God, Pharaoh, but the real God, which already makes Pharaoh really mad, wants you to let his people go. Pharaoh goes, <laughs> no. Our entire economy is based on slaves. If we move, remove the slaves from Egypt, Egypt falls. Because every, nobody knows how to work in Egypt because all the slaves do all the work. So we, move, we let the slaves go, then Egypt falls. No way. So God then, with the Israelites watching categorically goes through 10 gods that Egypt worships. The first one is the Nile River. At this point, Nile River runs through it. He says, all right, you guys think the Nile River is God? You're going to worship the Nile River? God's going to turn it to blood. And it was crazy. So Moses goes back, let my people go. Nope, don't want to let your people go. He goes through all these. God says, you want to worship frogs? You got Frogs and there are frogs everywhere. You want to worship flies? you got flies. You worship the sun? You think the sun brings you life? You think the sun is God? Watch this. Boop! Blots out the sun. Egypt is freaked out, and the Israelites, put yourself in the Israelites' shoes now. You haven't been worshiping God. You're not even sure you believe in God. And there are so many gods in Egypt, you just choose a different one to worship every day if you worship at all. And now, this one, who your grandpa talked about a long time ago, This one has spoken on behalf of you to Egypt. And you're sitting back going, what is going on? And then God, and we pick it up this week, God asks or speaks to Israel for the first time. 400 years, he's silent and he speaks to Israel for the first time. That next slide. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, he says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month of the first month of your year. So basically he's saying, Jews, Israelites, you're going to have a new calendar. And if you know any Jewish families in your life, you know they have a calendar that they celebrate and that they go by. They still do it today. You're going to have a new calendar. So God hasn't talked to the Israelites for all these times. He's done all these things. The Israelites are going, now this God, this is the one who blew out the sun and who brought the frogs and who kind of has been speaking on behalf of us? Yeah, that's the guy. Okay, then we'll listen. But what's he want to say to us? And check this out. uh, He says, verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbors. Having to take into account the number of people there are, and the people are going, I'm sorry, what? This is the God who blew up the sun, now he wants us to take a lamb and do what? Verse 5, The animals you choose must be your old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel might slaughter them at twilight. Somebody in the back's going, I'm writing this down, but I have no idea what we're doing. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. The Israelites are getting a meal menu from God. After 400 years of not hearing from him, the very first thing he says to them is, I want you to create a meal. And they begin to go to Moses and Aaron, what is this? And Moses and Aaron says something that you've heard me say, and you haven't heard me say it enough, but I'm working on it, and that is this. Just trust God. God begins to tell the Israelites, your first step with me is to put your trust in me. Just do what I say. And if you know the end of the story... Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of this is left in the morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals and feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. This is why the Jews today call it Passover meal. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. So at this point, these Israelites are hearing that God wants them to sacrifice sheep and lambs, and if you've read this in the Bible, you go, this is where you start skipping pages, you know? Like, I don't understand all this stuff, but this is huge. Now, you need to know this, that the Israelites, to sacrifice a goat and a sheep and to kind of gut them, it all sounds really gross and kind of brutal to us, but it's like, it's like just using their cell phone to this community, all right? It's just like another thing they do. Now, what is weird is what God says to do with the animals. He says, after you kill these animals, you put their blood in a basin and you paint your doors with it. And when I pass over, this is why the Jews call it Passover, I will see that you have trusted me. You have made me your God. I'll see that you have trusted me, that you've you've painted your doors, and I will pass over your house and I will spare you. So that's what happens. And God begins this amazing miracle where he gets them out. Of the hands of Egypt. They go to the river, or they go to the to the ocean, and you've seen this picture either in the movies or I painted it for you last week. The seas part, the Israelites pass, and then the seas consume the Egyptian army. Three months after that, three months after all of that happened, the Israelites are shocked. Have you ever had one of those times in your life where you you go through a time and and you say, maybe you've even said it out loud, did that just happen? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tommy Boy, one of my favorite movies. They're driving they're exhausted in the car and they hit a deer on the road and they felt so sorry for it. They thought they killed it and they put it in the back seat of the car. You're laughing though. Some of you have seen this. They put it in the back seat of their car because they didn't want to just leave it on the side of the road. They felt so bad and they're feeling bad and they're in this really antique car and they're so sad and they're getting tired. You know how you get on the road and it's the middle of the night. All of a sudden the deer wakes up and destroys the car. I mean, they jump out of the car and the whole car is just destroyed and the deer kind of flops away and one of them looks at the other one and goes, Did that just happen? (laughs) And that you can see the Israelites in this place right now. Wait a minute, this God who I wasn't even sure existed anymore because it's been so long. This God spoke on behalf of me. I didn't do anything. I I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't do anything good. I didn't do anything bad to this God. Why did He speak on behalf of me? They sit at the bottom of this hill called Mount Sinai, which is so big. About three months after this, and they're still going. Did that just happen? Did this God just do this? And Moses goes to the, to the hill, to the bottom of the hill. And he hears some words from God that begin to give us an understanding of who God is. This next slide. Now, here, I want to tell you something about, the, about rules real quick. Oh, that's the Jewish Passover meal. You see the, the wine there? Um, that would have been to represent some of the blood, um, which we're going to talk about later in our service. And then if you see the bread, that's called matzah. And that is uh, unleavened bread, which means bread without yeast, basically. And that's why we take, when we take communion, we take a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We still celebrate the Passover, even if you're not a Jew. I'll explain that here in a minute. Next slide. Um, God begins to tell Moses something. And here's the thing. We can get a glimpse of who God is. In my house, I have some rules. Um, And I'm not a real tough guy, but there are some rules I enforce in my house. I have a couple rules I'm going to share with you. My kids know them really well. The first one is this. You always respect thy mama, okay? In my house, you don't talk back to mom, now, you talk back to dad, and I get mad, and you get grounded. You talk back to mom, and there is a whole nother wrath of dad. You don't talk bad back to mama, and they don't very often in my house. That's one rule. Another rule is just kind of a silly rule, and that is that you, you keep your room clean. Every other day, my kids clean the room before they go to bed. Every other day, the day they don't clean their room, they shower, okay? So they shower, that's how important it is. It's just as important as showering in my house, okay? You've got to keep it, and that's this, you can tell something about me. You know two things about me by the rules that I set for my family. One is that I cherish my mama. Nobody talks bad about my mama, and nobody talks bad about their mama. And you also know that I cherish their mama. (laughs) I love me some Risha and you better not mess with her even if you're my blood. You don't mess with my wife. And you know that about me by the rules that I set. You also know that I'm a little OCD. <laughs> I got a little problem with things being clean and with things and I need them that way. And I think my kids at least while they're under my roof, they're going to have to live that way too. So you know some things by the rules I set. You also know some things by the who I set the rules for. I set the rules for my kids and my dog. And me and my dog have had a a little talk. You ever try to bite my wife, you are in the pound before bedtime. And I don't think he ever has. I'm not sure he understands me, but I think he might. little wiener dog's got a lot of attitude. And I'm telling you, if you're in my roof, those are two rules that you obey. You can tell something about me by the rules that I set. And guess what? You can tell something about God by the way that he sets the rules. The first four four rules that God sets are all about making him top priority in your life. They're ways that you treat God. The last six rules are all about the ways you treat other people. They're all about the people in your life. In fact, one time, Jesus says, um, when there's a whole bunch of uh, people around, they say, hey, Jesus, what's the most important rule that God ever made? Jesus hates that question. Let me tell you why he hates that question. Because Jesus hates the thought and the emotion and the feeling that religious preachers like me have put into people that God cares more about rules than people. So Jesus says this to this guy. He says the most important rules that you can ever follow are these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor like yourself. Those are the most important things. All of the laws and the prophets Hang on those two things. Those are the most important things to God. And here's the thing. We like to we like to, to think of God as a, as a big God, but not our God. And Moses does too. Moses goes to the, the bottom of this mountain, and he goes, all right, now I'm going to get the rules to this God, because here's what the Israelites know. And maybe you do this too in your life. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you've gone, holy cow, there is a God. Maybe there's been an emergency that's happened, and you got saved somehow because the car, everybody you know, got something miraculously saved or something, maybe you've seen the the other side of it, you've seen the wrath of God somehow, and you've gone, holy cow, there is a God. And your initial knee-jerk reaction is, what do I have to do to keep this God happy? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? Should I start going to that church and sleeping through the sermon? Should I, what should I do to keep this God happy? This is Moses' and Israel's attitude as they come down to the bottom of this hill. They go, this guy separated the ocean, saved us. We've been slaves. What do we have to do to keep him happy? So Moses goes to the top of the hill, and here's how God starts it. Don't miss this. Here's how God starts his, his rules in his relationship, his conversation with Moses. He says, I am the Lord your God. Moses goes, hang on right there. Stop right there. And God's like, oh, this is going to take a while. (laughs) I only got through half a sentence. God says, I am the Lord, your God. And Moses goes, no, 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 hang on now. You mean you're the Lord, the God, right? Like the God of everybody. No, I'm your God. I'm the Israelites, God, I'm the Lord, your God. And Moses said, well, that's awful personal. (laughs) That's kind of personal, isn't it? Like we have a relationship. Like you and me and I'm your God and you're my... God goes, yeah, this is a relationship first. Here's the thing. God never makes a rule before he starts a relationship. You get that? It's the way you should be with your kids, by the way. Relationship before rules. He says, I'm your God, you're my people. Moses, you're in with me. You're in. You trusted me. That's what." I want from you. Moses goes, wait a minute though, God, what about your rules? We need to know how to make you happy. God goes, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Moses goes, we need to know how to be in with you. And God goes, you want to be in with me? You just trust me. Now, there's some rules I want to give you that keep you from harm in your life and that keep you living and being the people I want you to be. But the first and most important thing is that you're in right now. And I want you to know right here this morning that you can be in. No matter how far you feel from God, no matter how messed up you've been, Moses goes, God, we haven't even done anything for you. We haven't done anything good. We don't even know your rules, so we don't know if we've done something to make you mad. How can we be in? And God goes, you're in because I say you're in. Don't ever let your grumpy neighbor, Christian old lady that does this in your face, don't ever let her think you're not in. Don't ever let her tell you you're not in. Don't ever let your mama who's always thought the rules come before relationship, or your daddy who always pounded on rules before relationship, don't ever let anybody tell you that you don't have a chance to be in with God. God says, Moses, let's get this straight. Before we start with the rules, you're already in. This is not about our relationship, or this is not about you and your saving grace. This is about the way you do life. He says, I'm the Lord your God and then he takes a trip down memory lane. The one who saved you, brought you out of Egypt in the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You almost get the sense of Moses going, yeah, the one, the, the one who saved us, the one who hasn't asked anything of us yet, the one who said, I'm yours and you're mine before we've even done anything, yeah, God, put a check mark next to that one, okay? Yes, you're our God. We'll be yours and you be ours. There is a moment that happens in your life if it hasn't happened yet, God is wanting it desperately to happen where you realize the truth of this. Where you go, yeah, God, I just realized. Now, I, ba- I was baptized when I was nine years old. I didn't get it then. I was 17 when I realized. I remember where I was sitting at Ellisville Christian Church during a concert, Tony and Donnie concert. I sat there and I, I realized for the first time that God knew who I was before I was born that he knew what kind of food I liked, that he knew what I would be when I grew up. He knew the kids, my kids' names. He knew I was going to marry. He knew the stuff in my life, and he chose me. And it didn't matter what I had done. It didn't matter how I'd thought. That stuff was going to change because of how much I loved him. But in that moment, my life was changed. God wants that desperately for you. It's what he's been pursuing. It's what he pursued in these people. He says, you shall have no other gods before you. I need to keep moving. Next slide. Here's the thing about God. He always keeps his promises. And what he says to these people is that I want you to believe who I am. I want you to believe me. Now we say in our culture, we believe in God, don't we? I believe in God. That means I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that there is a God. Now some people kind of just say that because they think it gets them into heaven. You know what Jesus said about that? When people say, I believe there is a God, Jesus said, who cares? The devil believes there's a God. Even the demons believe in God. Believing in God isn't what God wants. Believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do is what he wants from you. And he proves it. He proved it to the Israelites. Next slide. God sets up this new deal. The Israelites are beginning to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. I gotta tell you this real quick. This happened in my life just three weeks ago. On a Friday afternoon, I looked at my bank account. I had $421. That's a good day. $421 in my bank account. And Risha called me and said, I said, hey, we're doing all right financially. She said, no, we're not. I have a tithe check that goes to the church this week. We didn't pay our tithe this week, which we always try to pay ahead. And I said, a tithe check? She said, yeah. And I said, how much is that for? She said, $409. So that leaves us with how much? <laughs> I don't know, 11-ish, as long as I didn't mess up the math somewhere. Risha and I got home, and if you know me, you know that we've gone through some financial issues, and we've learned to trust God to do what he says, to live life the way he tells us to live, and then he fills in the gaps. And we believe strongly in our house that that, the 10% of our money belongs to God. And he says, it's your choice. You don't have to give it to me. You don't have to give me my 10%. But if you don't, you're on your own with your finances. And I've known what it's like to be on my own. I don't want that. Bill collectors start calling real quick. And so Risha and I had a rubber meets the road moment. I said, so what are we going to do? We could pay a couple bills or we could pay our tithe. And Risha goes, you remember three years ago when we started doing the tithe thing regularly? You remember how bad a shape we were in? Do you remember what God did for us? It wasn't this miracle that all of a sudden we got a million dollars in our lap. That's not the way God works, at least not in my life. She said, you know, we haven't missed a mortgage payment since then. Like, missed a full mortgage payment. Do you know that our bills have been paid? Our electricity hasn't been shut off? Do you know that our kids get their stuff and they eat? And they... She goes, I say we pay. We, we put our tithe check in, and we let God be who he's proven to be. Long story short, I put my tithe check in. I'd love to say that I, got, I won the lottery the next morning. But I can tell you that I paid my bills. I don't have a problem eating, as you can see. I think God takes care of us. And here's what happens when you let God prove to you that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. It just becomes easier and easier to trust him. That's what happens with the Israelites. God sets up this new deal. Go ahead, next slide. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm gonna ask you today, what gods do you have before the one true God? What is in your life that is most important? What is it that your life that you can't live without? I've got neighbors who I know, they're gods. In fact, you can go see the idols in their living room. It's their kids. You walk into their living room and there's this huge picture of their kids right there. And then you walk around the corner and you see all the money they spend on sneakers and on basketball and cheerleading. And and I know the temptation of that. I know friends that 401Ks and retirement plans and vacations are their God's. God's saying to you this morning, what God is in front of me? Next slide. I want to take a time out real quick. I'm almost done this morning. I know you're smelling the food. And let you know this, and make sure you catch this right now. No matter what's going on in your life, God is more concerned with your relationships than he is with the rules. Now, If you're a Christian in this place today, you might not like that. In fact, a knee-jerk reaction for a lot of Christians is, well, does that mean that I just can do whatever I want? No. In fact, here's the thing with a lot of Christians. They would rather God be more concerned with rules than relationships. There's a lot of Christians I know that follow the rules, or at least they think they do. They have a harder time with being a jerk to their neighbor. They have a harder time with a real relationship with God. God says, you know what? You're in just as much trouble. You can try to follow the rules. Next slide. This morning, we've got a peek into the later in this story. In the next couple weeks, we're going to go through these these, uh, Ten Commandments and kind of dig through them a little bit. And I want you to kind of stay with me on it. But basically, what we see here is that in Exodus chapter 14, or chapter 12, verse 14, this is the day you 're to commemorate, God says, for the generations to come, you shall celebrate the festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. He says, you 're always going to remember that I rescued you. Do you know what God wants? He wants you to think of him as his rescuer, as your rescuer. And he says, in fact i 'm going to set up this meal so that every time you eat it, this meal, you remember that I've rescued you. The band's going to come up. You guys can come on up. And we're, we're going to do something we do every week, and this is so cool. It's going to connect our story, all right? Every week, we take a little bit of bread, and you've probably wondered what kind of bread this is, if you, especially if you're visiting with us. Maybe if you're a Christian, you've just kind of taken it and nobody's told you about it. This bread is unleavened bread. That means it has no yeast in it, just like this, the stuff that God told the Jews to, t- to take to make and take. And then a little bit of juice. And now what this juice represented to the Jews before Jesus came is it represented the blood that they painted on the door frames of their homes. You remember that? Every time they took a little bit of this juice and and take a little bit of that bread, here's what they remembered. They remembered the day they trusted God. They remembered the day they went, I don't understand this, this doesn't make sense to me, but God says do it, so I'm going to do it. Well, if you know the Later on in the story, Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, a man named Jesus is on the scene, and he's fulfilling things that that God said. In fact, the Ten Commandments, Jesus is making harder. People are saying, hey, God, I kept all the Ten Commandments. I didn't murder anybody. Hey, Jesus, I kept that commandment about adultery. I've never had adultery. And Jesus goes, you know what? Every time you think about a woman wrong, you've had adultery. And they go, well, I'm out. (laughs) How is that fair, Jesus. How is it fair that I can't even think about doing something wrong? Jesus goes, that's how far you are from obeying the rules. You couldn't possibly get to heaven that way. People didn't understand it. They didn't quite get Jesus at times. But he's sitting with 12 guys who tried their darndest to understand Jesus. And he's about to be crucified. Matthew chapter 26. Oh, one back, Tanya. The bottom of that slide. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. This is 1,400 years After our story of Moses, the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want to make preparations for you to eat with us the Passover feast? While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, that bread that they've been eating all this time to remember that they trusted God. He took the bread and when they had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. And they start to do it like they've been doing it their whole lives. Take and eat. This is my body. And they go, what? No, Jesus, you don't know the rules. This is not your body. This is the, you know, the, our, our ancestors, they, they trusted God and they took this bread. And when they took this bread, it reminded them that they trusted God. And this is and, and the juice, and Jesus goes, yeah, the juice, today, this represents my blood, which was shed for you. And they go, no, Jesus, no, Jesus, you're wrong. This represents the blood that we paint over the doors over the Passover. Remember? Remember the story? You know the story, Jesus. Your mom and dad tell you, Jesus goes, yeah, I'm changing the rules. There'll be no more animal sacrifice. I am the lamb. Man, I hope you get this today. This is the story. God was telling the story to the Israelites then. If you just Trust me. The rules are to keep you here. The rules are to keep you safe. The rules are to keep you who I need you to be. But it's more about trusting me and about a relationship with me and anything. So these disciples take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for, the, for many for the, give, for the forgiveness of sins. I want to give you a chance this morning. gonna give you a chance this morning on that next slide, Tanya, to to give yourselves back to God. God never establishes rules without a relationship. God's rules aren't a condition of his love, they're a confirmation. And the first step is to trust him. Now, you may be here today and you have never trusted Jesus. You've never trusted God. You've never said, God, I want to believe who you are. I want you to know this morning, the Israelites had never trusted Yahweh. They had never trusted God. When he said, paint your doors and do this stuff and don't forget the lamb and the sheep and rip this out of him and put it in this bowl, they, they'd never trusted God, but what they had done is said, we have nowhere else to turn. The Egyptians are, have us in slavery. We don't want to live life like that anymore, so we'll turn to God. If you're here today and you're kicking the tires on the God thing and you just don't know, one thing you might know is that you can't go back. That you don't want to live the way you've been living. If you're here today and you want to put your trust in God, don't wait another day. As we close out today, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Go ahead and do that. You need to stretch. I mentioned my dog, Bogey. I'm going to finish this way. My dog, Bogey, a little wiener dog. He's a little monster. and But he's my dog. And here's the thing about my dog, Bogey. He... He's, uh, he's in my house and he's in my fence and my yard. And the fence is important to us because it keeps him from getting run over. It keeps him from getting messed up and from getting into the neighbors and doing other things. If he gets outside the fence and gets into my neighbor's yard, he's still my dog. You get that? He's, he's gone away. He's outside the fence. He's broken the rules. But he's still my dog. I can't, the neighbor calls and says, your dog's in my yard. I can't go. It's not my dog. It's not in my fence. <laughs> I wish I could. When Bogey comes back into my fence, he's my dog. You know what makes him my dog? It's not the fence, it's that I bought him. I purchased him. I chose him for some reason. He's my dog. The fence is there to protect him, the fence is there to make him part of us and stay close to us. But he's my dog. I want you to know this morning I'm comparing you to a wiener dog. I bet there's not another preacher in this area that did that this morning. We're wiener dogs. Here it is. We are wiener dogs. We are, The fence, the rules that God has for us, they're meant to keep us in. But if you get outside the fence, you're still his wiener dog. But you didn't think you'd hear that this morning. This morning I want you to know, no matter how far you are from the fence, God is looking at you going, I bought you. You're mine because I chose you. You're mine. I chose you first. You can't get too far from me that I don't want you to come back. I'm going to be right back there in that corner. If you haven't heard this today, if you've never heard this, if you've never understood this today, don't wait another day to find out more. Those of you who know this, those of you who have trusted Jesus, I'm going to ask you in a minute, I'm going to come back up and we're going to take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice like we do every week. I want you to think about it differently today because of what you know. I want you to think about what this bread and this juice means. It means trust. It means, God, I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in John the preacher. I'm not trusting in wiener dog stories. I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in you. I'm not in charge. You are. Would you prepare your hearts for that? And I want to come up here.